0: Welcome back, perfect peeps, to Perfect Dev, Dev. Welcome back, perfect peeps. I have Guillermo Roush with me today. I'm um, very excited. So, kind of the CEO of Zeit, and if you don't know Zeit, um, also the creator or one of the maintainers, main maintainers of Next.js. So, super excited about this one.
1: Uh, let's thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: There we go. Now they can see you. <laughs> So uh, first up, um, kind of just tell me a little bit about yourself. You're kind of on a, a journey through uh, Zeit and that creation that was uh, 2015-ish.
1: Yeah. Th- so the idea for the company kind of started in uh, uh, late 2015. Uh, my company, my previous startup had gotten acquired by WordPress. Um, I have, a, interestingly enough, my past has been all JS a lot of front-end, uh, which is what led to the creation of Next. But also, once upon a time, I was a PHP uh, developer. I was part of the Symfony community of uh, the WordPress. Uh, I was a WordPress uh, plugin developer. Um, and later on, we developed a lot of technology in the JS space, uh, specifically Socket.io. Uh, I contributed the MoTools, um library. Um, And my journey just took uh, a big shift over to the JS world. Uh, My company at the time was uh, focused on cloud file sharing, which is not too distant from what we're doing today, but more obviously focused on hosting and deploying. But um, at the time we were, I met with Matt, the founder of WordPress and we were gonna partner on providing cloud infrastructure for them. And then later on we decided, you know, like, WordPress is going to be such a big client for us that let's just merge the companies. <laughs> nice. um, and then, um, you know, I was kind of getting uh, um, um, just not bored, but I was feeling like I could start something to help a lot of people. Um, and I left WordPress and I, I, was, I had all kinds of ideas for um, basically doing what I did with Socket.io, which was uh, providing a great developer experience, but also enabling new things and better ways of building products. So uh, for a while, we started experimenting with all kinds of products and services that could help developers. Uh, and then I think our biggest kind of moment was when we started building a front end and we noticed how React was quite painful to get started with, hmm. uh, to build a website or an app. So you're and,
0: you're kind of messing with like create React app and you're like oh it's just well stinks. even
1: even slightly before that, oh, okay. that that's a that's a very interesting uh, point uh, because even before create React app existed like people were already super excited about React right sure. like now we take create React app for granted and and that, uh, it's part of the F F B the Facebook sort of um, family oh. but. Uh, it was even more painful than than that before, right? And and But people were excited about React because of the programming model mostly. And it was still at that, it was still being presented as it's the V in MVC. Sure. But we're like, no, you know what? Like we love React. We love this programming model. we were working on our, our simple website. It was funny. It was like the landing page for Zyde, which was just a way of getting emails and then sending them over to MailChimp. But I wanted to build the whole thing with React. And I was like, wow, building one page with React is super hard. Um, and that that kind of led to the creator of Next.js, which we called it internally, and I, I don't think I've shared this publicly much yet, but it was called N4, because I didn't want to leak the name Next to NPM. And now looking back, it should have been N3, because it's N and three letters. Yeah. So, we we worked on this N four thing for like a year, okay. um, uh, maybe a little less, but like it, it, and and we were kind of like getting this taste of like hmm like we're setting up setting out to like build next at any point like we never like pitched next to anybody we're like we're just trying to solve this itch of wow like we have this great tooling we have JS we have modern JS at the time like we're making the transition between like uh you know Uh, JS to ECMA, ECMA 6, and so on. Um, We had great low-level tools. We had React as a library, but we didn't really have anything that tied it all together, so you couldn't even build one page easily. (laughs) So now looking back, like, oh, wow, like solving that problem seems important, right? And obviously it was. But I think the key ingredient was that N4 was really dog-fooded by the company for a long time. Because we were building kind of like your user dashboard, login, sign up. It wasn't even clear what we were building that for at the time yet. Uh, but that experience of uh, using the framework every day. So what happened is then later on, I believe the weekend that create React was introduced, or the next weekend, we took a look at it. And I think in another in any other world, we would have said, oh, someone is solving the problem now. But we saw that actually what we had experienced for that entire year had put us way ahead in terms of functionality and removing pain points to all the things that we were seeing were getting open sourced. So I remember I had a conversation with Naoyuki, um, who's basically one of the first, he's the first person to join our company. Um, uh, I was like, hey, like I think it makes sense to open source this now. And we basically rewrote it in two weeks (laughs) um, because we felt like we'd learned also what not to ship. And that's kind of what has made, I think Next.js very successful for a lot of people is that we don't include a lot of features, we just include very important ones. So like in that process of rewriting, we got rid of some strong opinions that we had at the time and we just simplified it down to the pages system. Sure. and that is what kind of makes this like kind of full circle to like my PHP beginning because we're like the fundamental thing we're bringing to the table is you create a pages directory and you throw your JS files in there and your JS files export a React component and that that's it and that's basically what we uh, built um, and we open source it and it's been quite the journey ever since. Yeah, I,
0: so I guess just on a personal level, still. Jumping from kind of the the CTO side of those other companies, you've actually moved into a, a CEO role. CEO role um, yep, yeah, yeah. Have you found that's a significant change for you at this point? Um, I know we've been, talked like
1: running it, it a business. It has been super significant. Yeah, it has been super significant. Uh, but and tough at times because... I was used to writing a lot of code. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, that shapes your world. It shapes yeah. your interactions with people. It shapes your jokes. I love jokes and, like, I would, like, make VI jokes all the time. I still make <laughs> some, but, you know, like, it went from, like, a lot of coding every single day of my life to, like, no coding. So uh, there were challenges along the journey, but really what has made Next.js stand out is me moving away, too, because we created a great team around it. And when yeah. you mentioned, like, when I think of, like, I'm a co-creator of Next, I helped write the spec that, the, like, it's almost like I helped create the requirements for it. So I wrote an article way back in the day called The Seven Principles of Rich, Rich Web well Applications. And in a lot of ways, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to develop a technology that made it so it was necessary to read this long essay that I wrote. <laughs> uh, I wanted those principles to be embedded in the technology. Um, So it kind of started that way. And then I also helped write the spec of how we simplified N4 prior to open sourcing it. But then, really, it's all been Nayuki, who uh, came up with the idea for data fetching, which has been also very important for Next.js. And then Tim Newtkens, who has been basically leading the framework uh, since, you know, maybe six to nine months after we, we open-sourced it, okay. he became an early contributor. And, uh, and Tim has been someone that really deeply understands um, the technology, but also how people use it. So I think that's why he's actually been the best possible leader that a project like this could, could find because it, he's not just a programmer and a technologist, but he's also uh, very in tune with the community and the ecosystem. Uh, and how it was being used by some of the early adopters that became really big. Like, for example, Scale.com uh, is a very large AI company, and they were an early adopter. And um, Tim was very involved at in the beginning in like making companies like this very successful. So it wasn't just about like, oh, there's an open source project, and it exists in the ether. But very early on, Next captured the interest of like startups, and then bigger businesses, and then really large clients so um that maintaining that balance of open source projects but also you know your responsibility to la- larger customers yeah so scale which we're looking at now this is like one of the earliest adopters and and this really proved to us this can work um beyond uh you know just our own usage even uh so it wasn't just that, then like larger and larger websites uh, to the point where like, you know, like nowadays, like um, a significant number of like Alexa websites, Alexa top uh, thousand websites that use React, a big overlap is um, websites that use Next.js. So, um, and as a business, I, I've been able to now focus on, okay, how do we um, substantiate this creation, right? Like if people are gonna bet On something like this, with their entire business, with their entire website, um, what is the engine that substantiates this? What, how do we keep creating value for you? How do we keep giving you services that um, give you the full return on your investment into Next.js? Okay, I chose Next.js. What do I get? That's (laughs) that's what we're setting out to solve.
0: And so, did you? So it sounds like in that kind of that timeline flow, you actually. Started with Zeit and kind of the CDN side of that because of the WordPress need, and then you started kind of moving from that um, after after that first page. Started with Next.js, yeah. but now I see yeah, that yeah. kind of like coming back together a little more. Or yeah, I think I think it's
1: always been this kind of relationship of like, okay, we're building an app and we have to deploy the app, right? Yeah. So we recently sat down and we said, okay, what is the mission? Like, why do we do everything we do at Zeit? And the best way that we can explain it is we want to enable developers to build and publish wonderful things. And you can't just uh, work on the build part part in isolation. That's really what we found, like ignoring what the capabilities of the cloud are, ignoring how long build processes take, ignoring whether a a front-end developer can set up and publish the whole thing without help. So we really needed to complement uh, the build part with the deploy host workflow part. Sure. In order to you, in order for you to do the thing that you actually want to do, I think no one wants to work on you know localhost eight thousand. <laughs> I think when we create these awesome things, like we want to like share them with the world as soon as possible. So that's where you know, as a CEO, I've been able to create a business and continue to work on creating a business that can give you that service in that platform that closes the feedback loop so that you're just not building a local host, you're publishing what you build.
0: Yeah. So does Zeit actually run? And this is this is one of our cued questions here. Does Zite actually run on on top of what I call the the big three? Or is yeah, that
1: so, so as you said, like I like to think of Zite as a CDN uh, or as a, as we call it a smarter CDN because Typically, CDN comes later in the lifecycle. You you build something, you deploy it somewhere, and then you're like, oh, I have to get to Lighthouse 100. (laughs) Like, you scramble and you set up a CDN. Uh, We like to think of Zyta as as the thing that you deploy to, which is also a CDN. And we have nearly 25 regions that uh, straddle across AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. And what this means for you is that whether... Uh, you build your app with Next.js or or even other frameworks, and then you publish it to us, we will give you very strong guarantees in terms of performance and availability, uh, which is just another way of saying, like, you're going to be fast and you're going to be online. So you build your app. It's a no-brainer to publish it. But then what's interesting is what do you get in terms of, okay, you published it. And, for example, what you're seeing there is that uh, where you are, uh, uh, is 40 milliseconds away from our mm-hmm. nearest edge. So, wh- where are you based for uh, uh, for, in, uh...
0: Mich- in Michigan, Grand yeah. Rapids? Yeah,
1: so, so what happens is that let's say that you chose Zyte to publish your your website or your web application. Um, by default, with no configuration and no kind of like um, uh, advanced server knowledge or whatever, uh, your site is ending up in Cleveland, um, Ohio, which means. Your site is going to be downloaded in 40 milliseconds, or you know somewhere around that. And this is something that, for us to give you as a primitive, that is already installed, Um, and for you to not have to do anything to configure the interplay between CDN and build pipeline and Git integration, it ends up being quite significant. So this is the thing that really makes Next.js super powered. Is that you really need to merge the great developer experience with a great customer experience. So imagine that, you know, like you, you publish your next big business uh, online, you know, it's great if your developers are happy. It's, it's great if uh, you as a front developer are happy that the mm-hmm. DX is great. But I think what really is going to make your business succeed is not just that, but also that, you know, everything is fast, that everything can be crawled by Google really fast, mm-hmm. that it's reliable, you know, like that it never goes offline. And so merging those two things, in some ways you can see that as being like uh, what you asked about earlier, which is like you work on the open source part, uh, which is what, you know, provides a great developer experience. But then to, in order to gr- deliver a great experience to your users, you have to think about the publishing part. And then that's what uh, we've been working hard on, on, on giving you uh, kind of instantly. So when you
0: when we talk about like quick publishing, uh, like Firebase was probably one of the first that made that easy. But um, so like Netlify is really kind of coming up in the game as well. How do you compare? Is there a comparison between like Netlify and Zeit? Uh, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, I think uh, all those uh, three services, Zeit, Netlify and Firebase all provide static hosting. Yep. I would say one of the key differentiations of Zyde uh, is the workflow around publishing that we provide knows more about the framework that you're using, which provides some very interesting optimization. So for example, you bring Gatsby or you bring Next.js. We do a lot of things to build and publish faster. So we've really optimized because we know what our customers are using. We know that this is optimized for front end development experiences. So we've made that built pipeline and publishing pipeline and global CDN just work in harmony together to give you a really, really great performance. But that's not just it. So the other key ingredient is the workflow that you get as a company. So when you set up the Git integration with Zyde, we will automatically create preview deployments for every branch, every PR, every, uh, you know, even when you run now locally and you deploy locally. But then you can take that URL And and set up a number of integrations that will ensure that the quality of our app is top notch. So, a great example that we talk about on zy.co slash GitHub, if you scroll down, is that we tell GitHub, this is the deployment. And then we can run checks against that deploy URL. So, really, what we're giving uh, customers, yeah, so when you see that at the very top, you see that, okay, we deploy every PR. But then uh, if you scroll down further, you're going to see, Okay, you got your hyperlink for the push, you can view each deployment, um, you get your URLs and your domains associated with your deployments. But that is where the workflow piece comes in that is super interesting uh, to me, which is you can take that URL and then you can set up automation around that URL. And this is pretty unique. Uh, I, I've, as far as I'm concerned, it's really unique to our platform um, and, and its integration with Git. That, for example, you can run end-to-end tests against the URL. You can run screenshot diffing to uh, to automatically make sure that the app looks good. Uh, you can run assertions. So the example that we have, there, there's an app called Assertable that can run assertions. For example, a, uh, your website, ajonp.com, needs to contain the string hey John p. So it might seem like a, a little thing, but like what really has been happening is that we're shifting away from working in the abstract world of code and abstractions and unit tests. And what Zype now is giving you is a realistic assessment of where you stand in your software development lifecycle. We're giving you real URLs that work, that share the same infrastructure as production, that you can set up incredible workflows around.
0: Do you find some of the new... um... GitHub features—I'm forgetting the name of them already—that um, allow for that—is that starting to steal away from Zeit, or is there like additional things that Zite's taking care quite of? Quite the
1: opposite. Quite the opposite. Like uh, uh, every time people action. try to set up, That's where I'm uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> every time you try to set up your own CI/CD pipeline to build your projects and publish them, mm-hmm. now you've inherited the responsibility of building and maintaining and configuring that uh, deploy pipeline. Right. And I think what we've seen is that. Um, Day one, that's okay. Day 10, you're like, ah, oh, it's not as fast as it used to be. Like, what's going on here? Like, did we configure the build caches correctly? Uh, Do we purge the CDN automatically when you push and like all that? And then day 100 is when we find, oh, the original team member that set up CICD has left the company. Yep. It's kind of been broken ever since. We're just cloning and publishing from uh, the developer computer. So. Um, we cannot take the full burden of uh, publishing uh, that would otherwise be your responsibility to attach to your Git workflow. Um, we take that, and also as an important differentiator there as well is that uh, we see that as being like one of our greatest strengths, as, as something we continue to invest in a lot. Like, how can we give you workflows that are kind of turnkey that you can use to build better software? That's it. Uh, yep. so one integration that we have in the in the marketplace is the lighthouse integration so we can run lighthouse checks for every deploy that happens for every push so imagine being a front end developer that otherwise would run lighthouse checks manually you can now do so automatically so continuing to give our users all these neat integrations um will hopefully translate into higher software quality
0: so not to keep all the listeners uh jumping around too much here but um you and i had a conversation about static sites and specifically because hmp is built with gatsby but um it's got a sanity back end on it um but uh next js also has kind of a, a static build that you can push out as well and then tie in lambdas i know for me i've like hacked through that and got those lambdas lambdas Cloud functions to work on uh, um, Google Cloud functions, right? But what does that integration look like for Next.js when you're building static sites? How do you how do you begin with that? How do you use Markdown files? Like how does that work for you?
1: Yeah, great question. So uh, first of all, the one of the greatest values that we're trying to place inside Next.js is the intelligence of the compiler. So basically, when we run Next Build, we can do lots and lots of cool optimizations for you. So, ever since Next Nine, a really cool optimization is that if you don't do any data fetching, like you don't define get initial props at the top of your page, for those that are more familiar with Next.js, what we do is we will create an HTML file directly uh, for, for that page. So, that's a pretty incredible optimization because what happens is that when you deploy, we can take that HTML and immediately put it into the Edge network. So there is never a server uh, in between. So that's a very easy way that makes Next.js work, even for one static page. Like how we originally started, actually, it's coming full circle. Like it was like, welcome to Zyde. Are you interested in our news? Uh, Here's the form. (laughs) And um, you asked about Cloud Functions. so. That's a very interesting question. Like, what one of the things that Next.js gives you is an API folder that you can create inside your pages. Uh, it's under API routes there in the documentation. So imagine that I'm building that simple page. This is welcome to my company. Please give us your email. Nowadays, in in the in the era of Jamstack, mm-hmm. where like you use J JavaScript on the client side, you call to an A API. Mm -hmm. And then you have markup that is a static in this case. Um, The question becomes, what API do I call? Right? So a lot of people can do, if they're building just a form, they can do two things. One is, I'm pretty sure that you can talk to MailChimp directly. Right? It's almost like the A of Jamstack is someone (laughs) else's problem. Like you just go to MailChimp. Exactly. And and some people that need some more advanced things, uh, they can create their own cloud functions. Like you mentioned, we call this serverless functions or API routes or API pages. So this minimal uh, theoretical uh, Next.js app that is the one that started my company would be pages index.js, you just export a component that says welcome to site, a form. And then I think if I was uh, building that today, I would look for an off the shelf backend because I don't even want to write the backend, right? Like I can (laughs) move faster. so, you can go to formic.com, you can go to statickit.com. You can, yeah, sometimes uh, uh, like Google Forms and, and MailChimp, they'll even do some of that, right? But let's say that I'm doing something more sophisticated. Like I want to take the email and I want to send it to Slack. And I can't send it to Slack directly from the client side because it's just kind of weird. Uh, but uh, I would write an a XJS uh, function. And then I would retain my static model, by the way. This is what's interesting, right? Like I would serve static markup. It would boot up JS. I would use React hooks or whatever to get the form submission. And then I would route it to uh, to wherever it needs to go. But what, we, what we've seen is that increasingly it becomes um, more of a question whether you are going to actually write a backend or not because you can move so much faster by just using existing backends. Like
0: yeah.
1: you, use a, you use a Stripe for billing and payments, use Auth0 for authentication. So that might make you move faster.
0: So I, I guess I'll go even one step further. I'm sure you get the, like, Gatsby versus Next.js question a million times over, but I'm starting to get the, like, why why would we even build all this complicated software we can just jump out to Wix now, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. how do you fight off that question? I, I heard, I think it was Wes Boss talking about, like, yeah, if, if you just want those standard blanket sites, like we're in a new era now. Like, you know, a user yeah. can set that up. If you want yeah. this more complicated thing, this app, yeah. like that's when developers, um, the rubber hits the road, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I think uh, what, what, I wrote a, an article recently on my blog um, on RouchG.com, uh my review of 2019. And one of the things that I pointed out was um, low code, and no code are on a collision course. So low code is clearly Next.js. Like I can still recite the most minimum application of Next.js here in the podcast. I, I would go CD, MKDir, new app, CD, mm-hmm. new app, Yarn add, next, React, React DOM. And then I create my pages directory and my, and my little Hello World component. Yeah. Or you can even run today NPX create next app yeah, and, we'll, right. and we'll give you that automatically. Um, so we're we're firmly in the low code territory, right? Like we've removed every keystroke possible from the equation that is not essential and no code uh, is presenting a different path. Uh, no code is saying you're going to use visual programming. So I think this is why, um, And, and of course, I'm biased and I work uh, for my own company and so on. But I think that no code is dealing with code. Because I think when you think about code, you're thinking about uh, symbolic representations. You're thinking about, in many cases, Boolean algebra. Uh, You're thinking about uh, sometimes Turing completeness, recursion, iteration, so the code is there, it's just that someone has decided to give you an interface that is more visual. Now, the question becomes, why, do you, why have we not been using visual interfaces for the past 40 years, right, uh, or, or longer, right? Because we certainly have had the capabilities, right? I always tend to look at the web as a lagging technology, if anything. I think uh, it's Alex Russell that has this funny quote. I think it it used to be his Twitter bio that said, try to bring the web to the standards of the 90s or something like that, because he works on specs for the web. And he's right in some regards, right? Like, if you compare the raw uh, perf of native code versus JS, um for the past 10 years we've always been like not quite there right like there's always been a gap so things like xcode have had unlimited funding from apple for example they've created their own programming languages they've created even llvm the best compiler today with multiple pluggable backends they've had access to native code Uh, apple even hacks their own hardware and yet Visual programming has not been the dominant form It has introduced itself in certain ways, right? Like now with Swift UI, even more so, but it's always been a slight helper of a tool. it hasn't been It hasn't been the thing that you build apps with. So I'm really skeptical that you know tomorrow we're going to wake up and it be like, "Oh, forget all code." So that's why I said, I think it's going to be a collision course between low-code and no-code. I think low-code will gain no-code and visual programming capabilities. And I think, frankly, if the no-code tools don't expose the, all the underlying power, then they're always going to end up losing to low-code. Because any time you start doing something very important for a business, uh, something that has to be highly optimized, Um Something that breaks out of the model that you've been given. Um, you know, low it's almost like the specter of low code will always be there. And you're gonna start wondering, like, ah, you know, like what does it take to like um have the full power and have some of these niceties? So it's gonna be a very interesting decade. I think both sides of the equation have lots of amazing things to bring to the app building process. Uh, and I'm already starting to see a lot of people that are building no-code on top of Next.js, which I'm super excited about. Um, the uh, There's a very successful Indian company called Swiggy.com. Uh, they were uh, faced with the challenge of creating uh, apps very, very quickly. And so they created their own no-code app creator that spits out Next.js applications. So they're uh, gonna open source it soon. That's really exciting. Uh there is another tool with built-in no code integration, no-code ID for Next.js uh that's coming out. Um that uh is really, really, really exciting. Uh I I really can't share much details yet. I was shown a demo recently. Um but uh think Webflow for Next.js, really uh it's super exciting. Um and yeah, I think the ecosystem will. Uh, it, it's like you said. You know, like West Boss a really good point. Like, people want these features. People will get these features. So we'll, I'm excited to see where this is going to go.
0: The uh, the only two things left uh, that we have. Uh, we have one one thing called uh, random questions, which I have out there, um, and I think we talked about it enough where you probably answered it pretty pretty clearly for folks, but. Um, when you are on Twitter, there is no like at Next.js. And I was wondering if that was on purpose or like how that was handled um, and why there's no like direct correlation sending you from Zite over to nextjs.org. I, I get that you're like leaving them completely separated, but um, they're also very associated too in my mind. So can you talk about decisions around that and your your social media genius?
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So one of the core tenets of the hosting and deployment model that we have is that as long as what you're building fits into Jamstack, you're going to be able to, we're going to be able to handle it. That's why people deploy lots of different frameworks to us all the time, uh, like including Gatsby, but also Nuxt and Vue. And, and I truly believe in a very diverse framework and and rich front end ecosystem. And we want to support all of them as as long as they fit this uh, model that we think is going to help everybody, developers and users alike. So on the Twitter front, uh, we haven't been able to snatch at Next.js yet. We're working on it. And that way we'll have a lot more of a clear news channel for everything Next related. but I also, feel like I'm constantly
0: uh, like at site, but next JS site.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, it hasn't really um, uh, been uh, an impediment to anything because we like to focus on not tweeting that much. That like, you know, we don't have anything meaningful to say. So in some ways, it's been helpful to just like cut down and like be. Oh, this is an important announcement. Like nine point two, next JS nine point two is out. Uh, So that's been really nice. Um, I want to build Next into the best possible JAMstack framework for the entire world. Uh, No matter if you deploy with us, if you deploy with Firebase Hosting, if you deploy with Netlify, it doesn't matter to me. Um, And and I think there's so much value in creating a really awesome, large-scale open source project. So that will always continue to be the case. Um, And obviously, we will continue to optimize our platform to be the best possible hosting experience. Uh, And funny enough, we're working on some interesting optimizations for Gatsby as well. So um, (laughs) Next.js, Noxt, all these frameworks are really awesome. And like I said, as long as we are enabling our mission of enabling developers to build and publish awesome things, we'll always take it upon ourselves to give you the best possible recommendation um, of what we think, of what we dog food too, that's always been an incredible, important thing for us. And something also that I want to share now that we haven't shared yet is that we're working on a really neat example that we're going to share with the whole world of what we think the best practice is to build a full Jamstack app, specifically for the case that we see is very common where people want to launch a company. So you want to launch, you know, something has a compelling landing page that has a mini blog. To share news with people that has a dashboard that has login, so all these things that people constantly ask for, um, we want to give you that as the example when when you come to uh, uh, to our platform and when you come to Next.js. So today we think the best way to build an app is Next.js. Um, we think that there are awesome alternatives, especially I'm really impressed with what Svelte is doing, with what Vue is yeah. doing, um, and we are in love really with the with the deployment model, the, the idea that you just push to get, you get your URL, you share it with everybody. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of what Figma uh, and Sketch Cloud are doing to traditional design, right? Like we used to um, shuffle f- files around on, in Dropbox. And I feel like the same is happening to app building now, uh, totally. which in some ways is even more exciting, right? Like. Here's my deploy. Here's uh, the latest app that I built. You can even compare technologies side by side. Like, oh, here's app A. Here's app B. I deployed both. So it's it's really exciting times.
0: Do you uh, do you ever see Next.js, um, the React platform as it as it sits, uh, looking five years out, ten years out, maybe maybe not ten, but. Um, You mentioned Figma and Sketch and things like that. Would you ever see like WebAssembly starting to take hold further and like the React portion of, of this whole thing kind of goes away?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great question. Um, and it's, it's one of the questions that I've spent a big part of my uh, career pondering. Um, the conclusion that I've arrived to when it comes to predicting the future, is, there's a quote I love that says, um, "Predict prediction is very difficult, especially about the future. Because I think uh, <laughs> when it comes to understanding success, when it comes to understanding trends, when, under- when it comes to understanding why people do the things that they do, the process of looking at the past and making sense of it is already hard enough that it almost seems like a prediction sometimes. And that's why I spent quite a bit of time writing my 2019 in review, because it's very important for me to like look back and make sense of the world. So now when it comes to makes, making sense of the future, I'm, I take the, the uh, side of a betting man. And uh, that's why I really love Brendan Eich's uh, phrase of always bet on JS. That he extended to always bet on JS and WebAssembly, but I actually feel very strongly that the always bet on JS part is sufficient. And um, one of the things that I'm particularly excited about is that just like Electron ended up taking over native desktop development, one of the predictions that I would make about the next ten years is that JS is all also gonna eat mobile development in its entirety not this just mobile web but also mobile native web and it's a controversial statement so i'm going on record now <laughs> I could be wrong but i feel pretty good about betting in that direction
0: yeah it's it's interesting i have that argument all the time at work especially with uh, things like around flutter coming out and, and stuff like that and you've seen mobile stuff come up and die and the web just Always stays right, you know. We'll always yeah, have JavaScript, yeah. we'll always have, have HTML, um, except the WebAssembly question. That's why I keep asking it to people. But, um, at work, they're very adamant, like, <laughs> we're a consulting shop, so we're gonna do it this one way until we die, right? So, I, I'm hoping they can see the future, uh, see, see the trees through the forests, or however yeah, you, however I, you I, like I think, that.
1: I think, it, I think, uh, one of the other uh, tools that I've incorporated uh, into my thinking uh, when it comes to software uh, and it's it's been inspired largely by the blockchain and cryptocurrency ecosystem is that you can't separate the circuitry and the computer from the economic model they uh, there are one uh side of uh the coin and the other side of the coin basically so i think um and this is also why just like it's difficult to predict the price of a certain commodity or stock. Sure, It's almost as impossible to predict the rise and fall of a certain technology and why the best tool that we have is intuition and betting. But uh, one thing I'll say is that the economics of JS and front-end development just favor uh, my my bet, I think, <laughs> over you know making an application three times And not sharing, (laughs) not using one programming language and not sharing a design system. Um, And I think Flutter understands this. They are giving you, they're trying to give you a contract that you'll write once, use two or three times. Uh, But I think that the incremental path of JS gaining those capabilities that'll, Make it more competitive every single day. Um, seems like a more likely path to me than us ditching everything, learning a new language, polishing the outputs of the multi platform part deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper so that we get parity with what we already have. Yep. That's tough. That's tough. And it's going to be an interesting decade from that perspective as well. Uh, Swift is a fascinating programming language. Um, Rust, to, to some extent, for certain things, uh, uh, the WebAssembly question really is very much associated with the language question, right? Because Rust has a really great WebAssembly backend. Uh, so you can write Rust, compile it to WebAssembly. Yep. But writing Rust is very uh, not as practical. Let's just put it that way compared to writing <laughs> JS. So, yep. what are what are the languages that can target WebAssembly? Well, first of all, WebAssembly so far has been a moving target. Um, they don't have some of the features that match the what the language uses. So, for example, Go, Go the way that people use it with like uh, multiple threads and GC doesn't quite translate into WebAssembly as it is today. Um, Rust does, C++ does, but then again, are we gonna be using that to write UI? Perhaps not. Well, how about Swift, right? So I think the, the question of WebAssembly does have a lot to do with the question of language. So far, I haven't seen anything that makes me think that we'll all switch to another language. Just to then get that WebAssembly output for the broad application. I've seen it for specific parts of the application. Sure. Like uh, eBay in 2019 rolled out a um, a way of doing, I think, some sort of detection or, or something on the clients that it was very specialized and they just shipped a WebAssembly blob. I also see it as a uh, target for applications that take over the full UI. So yeah. if your application can render to a canvas, and this is the category of uh, PS PDF kit. They're doing lots of cool things with WebAssembly. They're just a PDF render. Well, just it's a very amazing and complex thing. But um, right. you know, they have they don't have much in terms of text, they don't have much in terms of like selecting text, they don't have much in terms of hyperlinking. Same with um, Figma, right? They use WebAssembly quite extensively. Yep. They're an open canvas. Um yep. so, uh, image manipulation, video transcoding, I think we're going to see WebAssembly become a complement to JS. That's so far what has been the case. Um, but then again, I also believe that JS in itself will become faster. Um, and this is what's happened to Java, for example, over the past uh, you know few decades. The amount of improvement and research that has gone into improving JVM um, especially now with like the Coral VM effort. It's quite significant. So I, I think we're gonna see a lot of improvements to JS backends as well. Uh, assembly script for specialized writing of code um, is really awesome. You write TypeScript, you compile it to WebAssembly that's worth checking out. So yeah, it's, it's gonna be a JS plus WebAssembly world for sure.
0: Cool. Yeah, so um, definitely got you off on a tangent outside of the the next <laughs> JS uh, world there, but I love listening to it. Um, that's why I want to have you on as a repeat guest. I hope we can fit that in For your sure. schedule. Um, and the, go
1: deeper into Next.js. Absolutely.
0: Um, the last thing that we always like to do is something called perfect picks. I know I, I threw it out kind of in the, the script there. I didn't know if you had a chance. Um, do you have any picks you'd like to, to throw out? It could be anything from like your favorite movie today or a website that you want people to check out.
1: That's a good one. Um and
0: if you want me to go first, I'd be happy to while you think.
1: Please do, please do while I think.
0: So this is this is actually out of out of your neck of the world's uh uh your neck of the woods. There we go. Um uh back endless conf. Um, it was one of the coolest things that I've experienced. Um Thank Since you. I've been, um, I guess, developing realistically, wow, you, you you threw an entire conference, essentially, I, I think you and others, I shouldn't say just you, um, you put together this, this sweet conference all online. It was cool to follow along on uh, Slack, um, put questions out, put, I think, funny memes and pictures and things like that, but then uh, a whole slew of um, guest talkers, too. Um, yeah, and I believe you yes, used the I, uh, I, Mux video platform to to push a yeah. lot of that out, which was awesome.
1: As 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 I was saying, I think when it comes to Jamstack, um, one of the big questions this decade is what what who's going to take the A of the equation? Uh, are you going to write a lot of code yourself? Are you going to use there, there's been now no code API backends? Um, are you going to use Auth zero? Are you going to use Stripe? What are you going to use? So that's what was the spirit of backend list is that Let's bring all these backend providers so that fronts don't have to worry about front developers don't have to worry about backends. So I was um funny enough, uh, you asked me about a favorite thing. So yep. perfect. My, my my brain um has become searching Slack and searching Notion and uh searching Rome. So uh I will say my favorite quote, uh, my pick for a quote is And this is very um, important in the context of JS: is impossible just takes longer. And it's actually, Brendan Ike also uh, turned me to this quote because I I believe it was uh, one of the early contributors to the web that would be that coined it or or reused it and reappropriated it. Um, And uh, like, if you think about the history of software development, uh, along many, many, many successful stories or in a uh, part of those successful stories has been a lot of uh denial so one of the things that Brendan says about js is that um it it cannot be fast it cannot be fixed those are the things that he used to hear all the time and keep in mind this little js thing has been denied for now since like, I like it's like 1996 or something like that uh <laughs> java try to take it over remember like java applets yeah. flash try flash. to take it oh. over <laughs> yeah, yeah right like um so impossible just takes longer as uh, my pick for a quote um and i will say as well for um just in general uh productivity applications um i've been enjoying a lot of different uh things on, on my iphone so i'm gonna go and quickly look at um, what I would recommend today. Let's see. Well, okay, so I'll, I'll tell you another thing that I really enjoy is um, perhaps one of my favorite um, native apps that is not native is Discord. So it's a React Native app. Sure. I shared this in uh, my uh, 2019 in review. And that would be my pick for a great... Uh, user-centric, customer-focused uh, eng- software engineering feats. Uh, very also relatable to how Slack reinvented itself by rewriting their client and made it much faster on, on Electron. So I love this kind of story for that reason. It's like the incremental improvement of a awesome uh, user proposition.
0: Yeah, Discord's really amazing. Uh, I thought about switching, but we're not quite as large as like the React community, so we're still on right. Slack for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, okay cool well i'm gonna wrap it up there we're almost at uh the top of the hour um i can't wait to continue these discussions so thanks once again gary Roche, the ceo thanks, of Zeitco. co thank you
1: thank you thanks for listening to today's podcast head over to perfect.dev to check out our other content and say hi to our community no matter what you are pursuing keep working and stay perfect